0: Okay, we're going to go ahead and read, before we get into our sermon, the 128th Psalm, which says, it's a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. In the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord Bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Our uh, sermon today, Ruth 4, 13 through 17, it's called A Restorer of Life. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read you uh, starting in the 13th verse. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, this book. I just have never had so much fun as preaching on the book of Ruth. I mean, I've enjoyed every sermon I've ever done, I think, but I just am in love with the book of Ruth after going through it in such detail. Now, other than a short genealogy, which comprises only five verses of names, we're going to finish the book of Ruth today. Next week, we're going to look into the details and try to piece together what God is showing us in this wonderful story. For today, though, we will see the birth of a son born to Boaz and Ruth and how curiously it is said to be Naomi's son. But everything in God's word has meaning, and even those things which seem rather curious have reasonable explanations. This is certainly true with the words about the son who is placed in the lap of Naomi. Our text verse for today comes from the 127th Psalm, and I did not plan this. I did this sermon weeks and weeks, uh, eight weeks ago, and it just happens that Paul opened us in our uh, service today with the 127th Psalm. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In a newborn child, there's an infinite amount of possibility. What will the child do? How long will he live? What will he look like? What will he act like? What will the little baby enjoy doing? The path which a newborn baby will take and the path that he will follow throughout all of his years is completely unknown to us. But there are so many hopes tied up in that little child there as well. We had a child born to some people, missionaries that uh, came here just a few weeks ago yesterday. And they have all these hopes of this little child and these pictures on Facebook and everybody's wondering what's gonna happen with this little baby. It's wonderful. The son born in today's story is given a name based on the expectations of what he will do as he grows up. This child, in the record of his birth, in no small way prefigures the work of Jesus Christ. It is one of the marvels of God's word that two people in the same story can both picture him in differing ways. This is one of the great joys of the Bible. All we have to do is read and think, how does this point to Jesus? Jesus. Once we do that, the story makes so much more sense. And so it is with Father Boaz and little baby Obed. Both are types of Christ. As always, these treasures are right there in front of our eyes in God's superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only two thoughts for you today. The first is Boaz and Ruth and a son for Naomi. Verses 13 through 15. Verse 13 begins with the words, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. With the agreement settled at the town's gate, because Boaz was willing and able to fulfill the requirements of the law, Ruth, according to that law, became his legal wife. In chapter 1, I noted that some scholars speculate that Malone died because he married a Moabite woman. In essence, it was judgment on his disobedience. Likewise, it was also speculated that no children were born to him during their marriage as punishment as well. However, I argued numerous reasons why these were incorrect assumptions. First, when God judges this way, the Bible will state so. Secondly, Naomi's words to her daughters in law in that chapter to return to their gods implied that they had married into a family who had been following the Lord. Thirdly, Ruth has now married Boaz. If God were to have killed the sons for disobedience by marrying Moabite women, then the same disobedience would be seen in Boaz for him doing so. Fourth, just because Ruth and Orpah had not born children cannot be seen as any type of punishment. God withheld children from Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Tamar, and many others as well, in order to meet his goals. As this verse will show, the Lord will intervene to grant a child to Ruth as well. For these and several other reasons that I cited, what we read was not punishment on Naomi's sons, but God working out his plans in redemptive history, just as he determines to meet his perfect end for the plan that he has established. And verse 13 continues, and he went into her without being disobedient to either the law or to the culture of the society, but rather being obedient in all ways, Boaz was granted his wife. And because of this, it says he went into her. It is one of the Bible's ways of saying that they came together in bed. The beautiful friend became his beautiful wife and his companion as well. Verse 13 goes on. The Lord gave her conception. Now there's a stress in verse 13, which is lacking in almost all translations. It's lacking in the New King James Version as well. It repeats the word and five times. Young's literal translation shows the sequence of the thought that we should pay attention to. Here's how he translates this, and it's correct. And Boaz taketh Ruth, and she becometh his wife, and he goeth into her, and Jehovah giveth to her conception, and she beareth a son. And Boaz took Ruth, according to the law of Moses, given by the Lord. And she became his wife, according to the law of Moses, given by the Lord. And he went into her, according to the law of Moses, given by the Lord. And the Lord, meaning Jehovah, gave to her conception, and she bore a son, thus a male child who can fulfill the portion of the law of the Lord concerning the raising up of a son in the name of the dead, according to the law of Moses given by the Lord. It is a logical sequence of events which shows perfect obedience to the law acting upon that law, and the Lord ensuring that the allowance of the law will be fulfilled, and this because a child was conceived, and the child was born, which turned out to be a son. Every detail shows the hand of the Lord all over this verse. Despite Boaz having gone into his wife, it is still God who controls the womb. But even then, there is a difference in the workings of God for different individuals, In this verse, it is the Lord Jehovah who gave conception to Naomi. This is not always the case in scripture. In Genesis chapter 29, it says that the Lord, meaning Jehovah, opened Leah's womb to have children, and this is the case until the birth of her fourth son, Judah. After that, it is God, or Elohim, that gave her her two final children. Now, why would that be? Likewise, in Genesis 30, verse 22, it says this, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Instead of Jehovah, it says Elohim, or God, for the birth of Rachel's child, just like Leah's last two children. There's a difference to be noted. The Lord, or Jehovah, is the one who monitors the covenant and directs events especially related to the fulfillment of that covenant and the coming of Christ. And that means the covenant from Genesis 3, the covenant to Abraham, this covenant which is going down through history. The Lord is involved in that. This is the same reason why in Genesis 38, when Judah's sons were deemed unacceptable to carry on the covenant line, it says that Jehovah, the Lord, not Elohim, killed them. It's a notable pattern which is found throughout scripture. If one had never read the Bible but was given these insights before reading it, it would that person would be able to more clearly guess what was going to happen in advance of it happening. In the case of the child born to Boaz and Ruth now, it is the Lord, Jehovah, who is noted as giving her conception. And so the guess might be that this child would lead to Jesus Christ. And guess what? He does. Verse 13 continues, and she bore a son. It is through a son that the name of the dead is to be raised up. Whether they had daughters or not is not recorded because this is dealing with redemption and inheritance. And therefore, the male child to be born to this union is what the Bible is focused on. Excuse me. Ruth had a desire to have a son to raise up the name of her dead husband. And guess what? A male child is granted. However, as we saw in the previous sermon, Boaz noted this at the gates of the city. He said this. You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malone's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malone, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. The word dead, and I noted this last week, is singular, though All that was Elimelech's, Kilion's, and Malone's was bought from Naomi. The name of all of them are united in Ruth's dead husband, Malone. This child is to be the heir of all three estates. The son will lead to David and then to Jesus. Matthew Henry shows that because of this, something more wonderful can be proclaimed about the birth of the child. Ruth bore a son through whom thousands and myriads were born to God. And in being the lineal ancestor of Christ, She was instrumental in the happiness of all that shall be saved by him, even of us Gentiles as well as those of Jewish descent. She was a witness for God to the Gentile world that he had not utterly forsaken them, but that in due time they should become one with his chosen people and partake of his salvation. This 13th verse of chapter 4 is the realization of the blessing that was bestowed upon Ruth back in chapter 1. There, in the ninth verse, during a time of great grief and sadness, Naomi said this to both of her daughters-in-law, the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Ruth has been granted the fulfillment of the petition by Naomi and has indeed found the rest that she sought in the house of her husband. As Lang says about this, sorrow in Moab has been changed to happiness in Israel. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger may last a moment, but I will tell you this, his favor is for life, honor and blessing, never shame. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning time. When the day turns from darkness to light, God will raise you up into light sublime. Remember Joseph, who suffered many a trial, and also remember Naomi and Ruth. The troubles that came ended after a while, because they clung to the Lord, the God of truth. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, who these women are is not stated. It could be the midwives at the birth of the child, or it could be a collective group of women from Bethlehem. Whichever it is, the last time that the women of Bethlehem were mentioned in connection with Naomi was all the way back in chapter one. There we read this. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Though she said to them, Call me Mara, there is no longer the need for this name. She is no longer bitter and lacking the Lord's grace, but she is Naomi, the pleasantness of the Lord. She had left Israel full and returned empty. She was now full again. She had left Israel in hopes of finding sustenance and instead she found death. Now she has been granted both new life and restored life. She had left with a family and a name and had come back with only a daughter-in-law and with no male child to bear the family name. Now she had a family and a name once again. Throughout all of the time since their return, nothing was heard of the women of Bethlehem in relation to her. She and Ruth were noted, indicating their solitary state. Now the women are there at the birth of Naomi's redeemer, ready to praise the Lord because of her newly found hope and to heap a blessing upon her. What was lost is regained and the life that seemed futile is now filled with hope and expectation. And that leads us to a thought about the valley and of course the mountaintop, which every one of us goes through from time to time. You know, we have these valleys that we go through in life and it seems dark and what does it say in the 23rd psalm it says yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death you were there with me i know i misquoted that it just went out of my mind but uh, the lord is with you through the valley and he's leading you back up to the mountaintop and i was thinking about that this morning is how sometimes our lives are in such dire straits and everything is almost closed in like you're in a valley, literally and you just everything is dark around you and you just think i just don't want to go on And then, think about it now. When you're on an airplane and you look down at the people, they look like little ants, don't they? Well, think of your troubles like that. You're up on the mountaintop. The Lord's going to get you back up there. And you look back and you say, man, look at how small those troubles really were. But when you're in them, you don't notice it. It's getting through the troubles that's the difficult part. And that's why we have the hope in Christ is that he is there with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? Right? This is what we need to cling to. This is when we have difficult times. We can come to a book like Ruth and read the first chapter and almost be in tears at the misery of Naomi and the suffering that she went through and get to the fourth chapter 20 minutes later and say, my God, that was a difficult time for her, but look at what's come out in the end. It will all work out because the Lord is on your side. Verse 14 continues, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. A shout of praise. You know, it's given to the Lord for the great thing which he has done for Naomi. She who had nothing but a daughter-in-law and an inheritance that she could not maintain has now been granted more than she ever could have imagined. Blessed be the Lord for what he has done. Credit is given where credit is due. And it was because he has not left her without a close relative, a goel, a kinsman redeemer. However, I want you to know there's a giant disagreement among scholars concerning this. It's a divide which separates into one of two factions. The question is, who is the Goel? The scholars at Cambridge say this, throughout the whole story, the near kinsman is Boaz. He has done all and more than all that could be respected, expected of a Goel. He has redeemed the property and now, and they put in parentheses, this day, he has secured an heir for Naomi's family. Well, this view is held by many great and studious scholars, but there is another view. John Gill, among other notable names, rightly states that the child, the child is Naomi's Goel, not Boaz. Gill says the text speaks of what was done that day and what is after said in the next verse all relates to the child born. This is the answer and it is what will be seen in the fulfillment of the pictures that we're going to see next week. The wording is very specific that the women will say this day when the child is born. Just because Boaz was the Goel throughout the story doesn't mean that he continues to be the Goel here. The Hebrew literally reads, blessed be the Lord who is not caused to fail to you a kinsman. Going back to the previous verse, it said, and Boaz taketh Ruth, and she becometh his wife, and he goeth into her, and Jehovah giveth to her conception, and she beareth a son the text of the Bible gives the credit not to Boaz, but to Jehovah through Boaz. And only when the child is born does the verse say, blessed be the Lord who is not caused to fail to you a kinsman. Were the kinsman Boaz, they could have said this long before the birth of the child. It's been at least nine months, and then they could have said it even before that, however long it took for her to get pregnant from the time of the marriage. It is singular that Ruth is mentioned for the very last time in verse 13, which was our first verse of the day. However, Naomi is mentioned explicitly three more times after that in verses 14, 16, and 17, and she is mentioned implicitly by the word you in all the verses from 14 through 17. Ruth is mentioned implicitly in these verses too, but only in relation to Naomi, not to her alone. The peculiar and beautiful words being devoted to Naomi and not to Ruth are meant to tell us something wonderful about redemptive history that is both exciting and it's actually glorious. It is something that is yet future to us now in the stream of time. And I believe the way the world is shaping up right now that it is coming soon to a world near you. It was Naomi whose life was used as a positive example for Ruth so that she literally clung to her rather than returning to her own family. It was Naomi who had suffered the majority of the pains. She had lost her life in Israel. She had lost her husband and she had lost her two sons. After that, she even lost her beloved daughter-in-law, Orpah. She was a widow with no seed to continue the family name. And she was in such dire straits that she asked the women of Bethlehem to call her Mara instead of Naomi. And yet Ruth continued with her, determined to reside as a foreigner in a new homeland. The bond between these two went beyond the bond of most natural lines of descent. No mother could hope for a more faithful, obedient, hardworking, and dedicated daughter than Ruth was to her. Despite her foreign-born status, she never gave up on her devotion and her love for her mother-in-law, her blessed Naomi. Now what do you suppose that's picturing? And then, almost at the closing of the story, it is the near-blood relative, Boaz, who has a son by Ruth. But it is the mother-in-law who is congratulated for having a son. This child, who came not from the nearest close relative, who remains unnamed in the story, is called the Goel of Naomi by the women of the town. And legally, this is correct. It is he who will inherit the estate of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malone, because his mother, Ruth, was Malone's wife. Boaz redeemed the inheritance from Naomi, and Ruth was a part of the redemption in order to raise up a son in his name. That son then is the legal redeemer of Naomi. Her house is not built up by Boaz. Her house is being built up by the child for whom Boaz redeemed it. That's why in last last week's sermon, in verse 11, it said this, the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah the two who built up the house of Israel. The house is built up through the woman by the sons born to the woman. As Lang says about this, he is the grandson of her family, though not of her blood. Ruth goel was Boaz, but Naomi's the son of Ruth. For Ruth lives in the house of Boaz, but Naomi in that of the child, which belongs to him by virtue of his birth from Ruth. Now, that may seem confusing. I know it must. But it pictures redemptive history, which has been proven to be even more confusing to many as well. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Has anybody here heard of dispensationalism? Yeah? Anybody heard of replacement theology? Well, you got scholars on both sides, and they both argue that their point is right. And yet, these are well-trained people, in Hebrew and Greek, and they've studied their Bible, they've gone to seminaries. Only one can be true. Either the church has replaced Israel or it has not replaced Israel. And you can see how confusing. If this little story, which is in black and white, which is right in front of us, and we have all of the information right there, is given, and we still can't figure out who is who, and scholars argue over this, how much more the greater picture that it's making. And the fundamental error that is made throughout this entire book of Ruth is identifying three people. Who does Elimelech picture? Who does Malone picture? And who does Killion picture? Not one scholar that I ever, ever read out of all of the commentaries even mentions them other than they're just some guys that were alive and, you know, they they talk about them historically, but they never look at them as a picture. Everybody says that Boaz is a picture of Christ. Everybody, everybody does that. And everybody says, Naomi pictures something and Ruth pictures the Gentiles and people pick and choose what Naomi means, okay? The man that came the closest to the answer in all of the commentaries is a guy named Lang. And I probably could not have come to the conclusions that I did and the sermons that I put together for you without this guy Lang. He's a great, you can tell he was probably a lawyer because of the way that he talked about legal matters. All right. But despite that, he came to a faulty conclusion at the very end because he did not identify the three men at the beginning. And until you do that, the rest of the story can mean anything that you want it to mean. But if you know who they're picturing, I'm telling you this story is wonderful and it is a dispensational model. Israel is the highlight of this story. It's not an afterthought of the story. So anybody that says that the church has replaced Israel, give them a good hard kick after you've listened to the last sermon here, okay? Verse 14 continues, and may his name be famous in Israel. Well, whose name? Is it the Lord mentioned in the beginning of the verse? Is it Boaz, who some say is the Goel, or is it the child? The answer is it's the child. Boaz is not the Goel of Naomi, and the child is the nearest antecedent in the verse. The women explain concerning this child redeemer, may his name be famous in Israel, and they exclaim more. And may he be, verse 15, to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. With all certainty, the Goel of Naomi is the child. These words show us that with all clarity. And may he be to you a restorer of life. In this is the thought that bringing happiness and joy and enjoyment to her. It is this child that is born that will bring these things to Naomi. She was bitter and dead. He will make her joyful and vibrant. She was without hope. He will bring her a newfound sense of purpose. It is the child that is in her lap, not Boaz, who will bring these things to her. And in addition to that, he will be a nourisher of her old age, as it says. This is not something given to Boaz to do because he's old himself. Rather, it is something which will come from the child who is young and who will be able to care for her and tend to her in her own old age. This is what the blessing of the women indicates a future hope in this child, not a present hope in the husband of Ruth. Verse 15 continues For your daughter in law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Once again, this shows us that Naomi's Goel is the child. The women refer to Ruth as the mother of the child. Ruth isn't of Israel, but is married into Israel. And it is Ruth who is said to love her. In the Hebrew, the tense of the verb is perfect. In essence, it says your daughter-in-law who has loved you completely. It is she who is better than seven sons to Naomi. What seven sons could never have done, only she was able to do. Only through a woman can a child be born. If she had seven sons and none of them were married, they could never have given her what she has obtained through this daughter-in-law. In the Bible, the number seven indicates spiritual perfection. The women of the town knew the value of Ruth and her love for Naomi, and that it was transcendent. This love to her had come about with a newly transcendent hope. Because the son was born to Ruth, though he was not of direct blood, he was considered to be the most cherished of all sons. It is in, an indication that the legal parameters of Israel through physical descent could never compare to the wholly devoted and self-sacrificing foreign-born daughter. It is the connection which is based on love, which has brought Naomi to the point that she has come. The ingrafting of the child into her heart and the family line was because of the love of the daughter-in-law, which in turn makes the child of much more heartfelt love than it would have been possible through any natural means. Benson gives wonderful words to express this state that Naomi has found herself in. He says, see how God makes up sometimes the want of those relations from whom we expected most comfort and those from whom we expected least. She was expecting the most comfort from her husband when he died and then she had her two children and she thought they're going to comfort me in my old age and they died And the person that she least expected of all of the people on the face of the planet was a woman that couldn't give her anything, and yet she has gotten the most comfort through her. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, indeed, when the plowman shall overtake the one who reaps, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, for this my soul rejoices and my heart leaps. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall with it flow, It will fill the tables with joy at mealtime and bring to the peoples a contented and radiant glow. The Redeemer will come and restore all once lost, and he will do it for his people without charge or cost. Our second thought today is his name is Obed, verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom. Well, this is a symbolic act of adoption as her own. In Genesis 30, when Rachel was unable to bear her own children, she gave her maid servant to Jacob to have one for her. When she did this, she did it with this thought in mind. Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I may have children by her. By having the child born in her lap, it signified that the child would belong to her. This verse about Naomi is similar. Obviously, she's going to hold this baby and play with it often, But the purpose of specifically saying this in the Bible was to tell us of the significance of the act. The record of the words shows the intent of the passage. And the next words continue to confirm this. And became a nurse to him. This is not the usual term that the Bible uses for nurse, where a woman would suckle a child. That word is yanak, okay? Rather, this is the word aman. It means to confirm or to support. It is the same word that is used to describe Mordecai, a male, the uncle of Esther, where it says this, and Mordecai had brought up that word Iman, Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. It's also speaking in the following passage from Isaiah, which is speaking of the men not the women who would tend to Israel in the future. Here's what it says from Isaiah 49. Kings shall be your foster fathers, Aman, and their their queens your nursing mothers, which is probably the word Yanak. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. That passage from Isaiah chapter 49 is actually showing us a portion of the fulfillment of the pictures that we're seeing in the book of Ruth right now. So go take a gander there after the sermon, not right now, after the sermon, and you can be a leg up on the final sermon that we have from the book of Ruth next week. Naomi as the aman or the nurse is the one to raise the child in the law and the culture of Israel. She will be the one who will willingly bear the responsibility which is noted in Deuteronomy 6. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Think of Amman, the the person that's responsible for these things. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the implication of the words that have been given in this verse. Were it not so, then the Bible would have just simply skipped over it. Because like I said, any normal mother or grandmother would pick up the baby and play with it. But they're telling you this for a reason. There would be no need at all to mention them otherwise. But because it does, we're asked to consider the words with the additional weight that these things apply to Naomi specifically. Verse 17. Also the neighbor women gave him a name. Also the neighbor women gave him a name surprisingly, commentators deny this as if it doesn't say what it says. Many, many commentaries I read, and they all basically say, oh, they probably recommended a name to Ruth, but it says that they gave him the name. Literally, they called out a name. This is the name that they called out. Now, whether it became a nickname that stuck or whether it was a name that they called him, so uh, Ruth, she decided, I'm going to pick up on That name and I'm going to run with it. We don't know. Either way, it was the neighbor women who named him and were given a reason why they named him as the verse continues, saying there is a son born to Naomi. He is given a name because he is a son born to Naomi. This is why they named him. It doesn't say that they recommended he be given a name, but that they called out a name because Naomi had a child. The name is being tied to the fact that he is Naomi's son. And the name is given, and it is tied to the fact that he is a son. And so we continue. Verse 17. And they called his name Obed. The name they called out for this wonderful child is Obed. It is being tied to the fact that he is Naomi's son, and to the fact that he is, in fact, a son. And so they called him Obed, which means servant. What does him, being Naomi's son, have to do with him being a servant? Keep thinking of Jesus as we're going through this, all right? This is what confounds people. But the answer comes from the account itself. Just three verses ago, as soon as as it was said that Ruth was given conception and bore a son, the women said, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel in the very next verse it says may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age the son is the close relative the goel who is naomi's redeemer he is the one who will be the restorer of life and the nourisher of her he will be a servant to her and so they call his name obed As would be expected of the ladies of Bethlehem, they would see him as able to serve her as she grew older and became less and less able to care for herself. There was a point where it would fall to him as the goel to care for her, to restore her, and to nourish her. Despite the troubles of old age to come, the pulpit commentary beautifully says, now a sealed fountain of reviving waters has been opened in the wilderness. Verse 17 finishes with these words. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. The narrative portion of the book of Ruth ends with a note of resounding greatness. In the previous chapter, Boaz had hinted that a blessing was upon Ruth because of her noble character. He exclaimed in the dark of night there at the threshing floor, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. In an utterance of prophecy as much as a blessing, he spoke words which he actually became a participant in. Because of his attentive care for her and because of her true and her noble character, the two of them became ancestors of David, the great king of Israel, Israel's sweet psalmist and a prophet of God. And in turn, each of them became ancestors of the greatest king of all in whom all, all of the messianic prophecies are ultimately directed and in whom they are fulfilled. Boaz then shows us that there is more than just adherence to the law to bring about what is good and right. The unnamed closer relative adhered to the law, didn't he? But by him, Ruth and Naomi remained unredeemed. Following the letter of the law only shows that only misery can result. It can't prevent misery. Instead, it increases it. It only shows us that something more than the law is needed, and that is grace. Paul tells us this in an exacting way in the New Testament. First, he asks if the law, which is good, brings about death. His answer is that no, sin is what brings about death. Here are his words from Romans 7. Has then what is good become death to me, meaning the law? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. Later in the book of Galatians, he shows us then what the law's purpose was. He says, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been of the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor where the closer relative relied solely on the law, only misery for Naomi and Ruth would remain. But Boaz, using the law and adding in grace and love, prevailed over the law. Keep thinking of Jesus. He followed the spirit and the intent of the law, not the mere letters which comprise it. He too could have declined to redeem Ruth. He had that option. But through granting of grace, a bond of love had formed which had prevailed over the law. There was no removal of his sandal, there was no spitting in his face for not fulfilling his duties. Instead there was the ability to redeem and there was the desire to redeem, and so he redeemed. In this story of redemption there is found the truth that no law exists which is as strong and as capable as the law of love. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 13. He says, "Oh, no one anything except to love one another for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying namely you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law the closer relative sought to not help his distressed relative by using provisions under the law for his own benefit. In the process, he harmed her. Boaz sought to use the law to help her, and he did it also through an exercise of love. Thus, he not only fulfilled the provisions of the law, he fulfilled the entire law. Indeed, love is the fulfillment of the law, just as Paul said to us In our fallen state, we cannot love perfectly. And so we can never perfectly fulfill the law. The law only shows us our desperate need for God's mercy. But God cannot show mercy to the point of violating his own righteousness. Sin must be judged. And so God sent his son into the world. The Bible says that God is love. And because this is so, his son is love. And thus he can love perfectly and therefore perfectly fulfill the law. This he did. And then in the most amazing display ever, he willingly gave up his own life in exchange for our sins. The Bible tells us that if we call out to receive this gift of love and receive Jesus Christ as Lord, we will be saved from God's wrath. I would pray that if you have never asked for God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that you do so if you do you will be counted among the redeemed of the lords what an offer don't wait another day let me tell you about what you need to know just so that you can make that commitment we have sin we know we have i've told a lie i've done this i've done something wrong and that is something that eternally infinitely separates us from our father because he's outside of time he created the bubble that we're in so that we can exist and have fun and do the things we're doing but that means we're going this way in time and he's outside of it and therefore if i have sin here i can't go back before it and undo it and that means that i'm completely and eternally separated from from him because of that so what did he do he came out of that infinite state and he entered into his own creation by uniting with human flesh in the womb of mary and there he is the god man He's the bridge between the finite fallen you and the infinite glorious he. He is the God man. He is Jesus Christ. And he perfectly fulfilled the law that we are seeing pictured by Boaz redeeming when he didn't have to redeem it. Whereas the other person says, I'm going to use the law for my benefit. And that's that was his option. He was allowed to do that. But Christ came and he used the law for our benefit, not for his benefit. He fulfilled that law, which was contrary to us. And the Bible says that he was nailed to the cross and the law was nailed to the cross with him. That's the glory of Jesus Christ. And so what does it say in the Bible? Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, man, that's it. That's all you need to do. Jesus, I have sin. I need it taken away and I want you to do it. And it is done. You're sealed with God's Holy Spirit and that can never, never, never be taken away from you. So please do that today. I have a closing verse, also from Isaiah 49. Pay attention to Isaiah 49. Go home and read it. and you might, you might understand before we get to the sermon next week what's going on. Who does Elimelech, Malone, and Kilion picture? Once you have that, the entire story will fall into place. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Next week, Ruth four eighteen through 22. It's called Perez to David. You know, I have never, ever, I always, the last thing I do when I type a sermon, the last thing I do is I give it a title, okay? I type my first section, and I go back and I give it a title. I type my second section, I go back and I give it a title. And then the next day I type up the poems and I do, all, I do everything in order. And I follow the same pattern. I had this title of this sermon picked out, I think before I started the book of Ruth. I knew what I would call this last sermon because of what it pictures. It's Perez to David, from the Breaker to the Beloved. That's our 13th and final Ruth sermon. And I'll tell you this, I've said this for the past 12 sermons. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. He knows your trials, your troubles, and your woes. And he is there with you through them. Just when you're in the darkened valley, he's right there with you through them. So cling to him. And let him do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Our poem today, short little poem called, and they called his name, Obed. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when into her he went, the Lord gave her conception, a new life. And she bore a son when her months were spent. Then, Naomi said, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not this day left you without a close relative. And may in Israel his name be famous too. And may he be to you of life a restorer, and of your old age a nourisher. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is born him, she is better than seven sons. It's true. Then Naomi took the child, who seemed the lifting of her curse, and laid him on her bosom in a manner mild. And to him she became a nurse. Also the neighbor women, to him a name they gave, saying, There is born to Naomi a son. And they called his name Obed, meaning a servant or a slave. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. In Israel, he became a very great one. From sadness and heartache too great to be measured came joy and blessing more than could be thought. In Naomi's lap was placed a son that she treasured, a son through whom her redemption was bought. In the marvelous way God directs our lives' events, even the worst times will be forgotten memories. Someday, the difficulties that we face will all make sense. We'll understand why we face such great adversities. Until then, we need to trust God, giving to him our cares and hold fast to the promises of his word. In that treasure to us, he gladly shares the story of redemption centered on our Lord. Yes, it is all about our Lord Jesus, he who has done all things wondrously and has promised to always care for us. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, it is so so wonderful to look into your heart and to look into your mind as we read the pages of the Bible and to see the intricacy of what you're trying to show us. Then it doesn't come easy. You don't you put some things on the bottom shelf so that a child can understand them, and you put some things on a shelf that is just out of our reach and we can't grasp them. But there are some things that we search for, we pray about, we talk to you about and then they come to us. And I thank you for those times when you reveal your word to us. And someday we'll have all of the knowledge. You'll show us everything in there, even the things that were out of reach. You're just so wonderful. I know that forever we're gonna search this word and we're gonna be standing in awe, in awe of what you have done for us and how you showed us all the way at the beginning what was coming so that we wouldn't make the mistakes at the end. Help us to live out our lives pursuing that end goal with our eyes fixed on Jesus, with our hearts set on heaven, and with our lips praising you every second of every day. I would pray this, that you would be glorified, and I'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.